Welcome to Kashras on the Air, your weekly radio show dealing with kosher issues for the kosher consumer. And I'm your host, Rabbi Yosef Wickleter, editor of Kashras Magazine. And tonight, I think we have a very interesting show. We're going to be talking about spices. We're talking about what things don't need ashkacha. In session, we'll talk about hydroponics if we have a little time. But first, before that, we have two issues I want to bring up. One was that last week we had an interesting uh, discussion about women being mashkichos. And we went through the halacha from Ramosha Feinstein, and we discussed it, and we talked about uh, a number of issues. And I asked for people to comment. Well, now I know people listen to the show because if, if unless everybody who's listened called and, and emailed, I can just tell you I got a tremendous amount of people who were interested in the topic. Most of them were not in favor of, of promoting the women in in, in Ashkocha, uh, and, and that's uh, that's an interesting uh, a twist. And it's, uh, it's, it's what the, what the oilum that, uh, that's listening to the show and maybe the, uh, people living in this neighborhood over here in Flatbush, maybe that's their position. And so that's the, that's where we're holding at the present time. I'm still going to look into it more because I'd like to find out how many mashkichos they are and what they're doing. I want to find a little bit about the whole thing. So believe that I'm going to send out that email to the, all the cash agencies. I wrote it already and hope to send it out in a couple of days and see what, uh, what is really happening in the field. Although we're not going to promote it at this point in any which way in the magazine. Now, I just want to mention that tonight, actually right now, it's uh, the art site for my mother, La Shalom. And I want that her name is Sardina Bas Moshe Ephraim. And the Lazech and Nishma saw, I want to say a, qu- a quick Mishnah, which is the first ice in the name Sarah, Shloshi Sha'achlu Ke'echad, talking in the seventh parak of Brachos, the, it's talking about three, uh, three people who eat together, they have to bench, Chayovin Lezamein. The mitzvah of Zimun is a Echiyah uh, for men. We don't, ha- we don't have the women doing it, although technically they could, uh, but that's not the way people do it. And uh, the men have a zimun where they invite each other to benching, you know, Rabbi Saim of Ellen Bench and Rabbi Saim of Arech, where they sort of uh, are joining together as a group in order to praise Hashem together. Kishem Hashem Ekro Habugad Kenum. So the, the Mishnah says, Achal Demai, if a person ate certain kinds of food which would, uh, which are questionable, in other words, there's an issue over them. Is that something that would prevent that person from being used for the Mizuman? But one of them made Demai. Demai is uh, a suffix, whether or not the uh, the Truman mice were removed. Maiser Rishon, Shanitla Trumaso. The Maiser Rishon, the first Maiser, first tithe that gives a tenth that's given to the Levi. However, um, we're not sure if the uh, if all the Truma was removed. And that's the question. In other words, if it was, uh, if it hadn't, it had, he had grabbed it before the truma was given to the coin. And the next ca- next category is ma'isa sheni v'hekta sheniftu. The ma'isa sheni, the second ma'isa, the second tithe, second tenth, and the, and hektesh. Somebody, somebody gave to hektesh, and they, they were redeemed. Well, if it was redeemed, what's wrong with eating it? The answer is it was redeemed, but without paying the additional amount that you have to add on. To the payment, the Hashamish Shachal Kezayis, or Shamis that was serving them a waiter, and he ate a Kezayis. So that sounds pretty good. 
question is, where was he eating? Is he in this room or that room? You know, that's the question. Uh, but we are using him because if he had a kazai together with us, he could be used in the benching with us. Vakusi and a non-Jew, mizamne malayim. You can, uh, you can, you can do, you can do zimun. How can you do it with a kusi? There's a nochri, is a goy. No. The kusi, bismaneim, the kusi was considered to be a Jew. Only later on did they discover that the kusiim were practicing, uh, idol worship. Originally they were goyim and they, they converted. The question was they converted out of fear or not. And in, in any event, uh, the Kusiim at this particular time, a little cloud over them, but still in all, at that time, they were considered kosher Jews. If a person ate Tevel, which means you know for sure there was no Truman Maise removed, so it, it, it's not allowed to be eaten. If you know that they didn't remove the Truman at all from the Maiser, and or Maiser Sheni Vehekta Shalonifdu, or if a Maiser Sheni which was not redeemed because he was redeeming it in Yerushalayim, and he didn't do that, or Hektesh which he didn't redeem, so these are not allowed to be eaten. And that the person eats less than a, a kazayas who's serving them, and a nochri, and if he's a real guaranteed, guaranteed non-Jew, then emizan the malayim. You can't use him for the mezuman. That's the first Mishnah in the seventh parak of Brachos. I, I, I just want to add on a, on a personal note. My mother, Ashalom, in that in the house when I was growing up, every single bencher had in it a red mark at the end of the benching, and on Kriyashma Lamita. Every pay, every time it had. And and uh, some people didn't know the story, but we explained to them what's, what goes on. It seems that my mother, Ashon, whenever she benched, or whenever she said Kriyashma Lamita, she would put the bencher to her mouth, and uh, she wore lipstick. So it came off on the bencher. So there was every bencher had this. And what happened was, she didn't just kiss it when you close the safer. She stood there, stood there, sat there, actually. Well, when the, the Krishna, she, all the she said, standing up, I think, usually. Uh, anyway, she, she had, she put it to her mouth, and it stayed there for a few minutes. She she was concentrating and davening for a few extra minutes. So, I don't know, my brother, so Zayn Gazun, my brother, uh, one time asked her, what are you doing? <laughs> what What goes on over there? It was like everyone's getting up from the, from the meal, and she's still sitting there with the bencher to her mouth. So she said, I'm putting in my extra prayers. After the davening, you can add it where you want. So after benching and after Krishna Alamita, she actually stayed there with the bencher or the sitter to her mouth, and it was just waiting and, and thinking and davening. So my brother still <laughs> he wanted to find out. He said, what are you davening for? What are, what are you What are you saying? I'm saying thank you to Hashem for the things he did for us. For example, <laughs> he's persistent, my brother. So he said, what, for example, what? She, she said, I'm thanking Hashem that your uncle Stan came back from the army. My brother said, when did he come back? Years ago? Yeah, it's about 20 years. I mean, for 20 years, you're thanking Hashem that your brother came home from the army? Yes. And that's that was what she was. <laughs> Stick to feel appreciation 
I could tell more stories, but this is a radio show. I'm not going to take the time up for it. But the but this was the, the this was the epitome of somebody who appreciated and never forgot, never forgot a chesed that was done for her. And that's uh, Baruch Hashem. We try as much as possible to emulate, and uh, that's such so be should be a an ili for the neshama. I want to tell you uh, about this spices thing. Now, I decided today to discuss spices, so I looked up and seemed everywhere I looked, everybody's saying the same thing. And actually, we had a show not too long ago where we discussed spices. I'll tell you when we did it. When we were doing the kosher fest, so we had a person who did spices over there, one of the companies, and we had him speak a little bit about it, and, and uh, that that's the most recent time we did anything. But I found out a number of things when I was looking it up. I was very, very much uh, impressed by the seriousness of this matter. I always thought about the question of the insects because I know there are insects in these things. I mean, I've seen the uh, defect levels that the government allows, like they call it defect levels. It means that there's bugs in the in, in, these, in these products. Uh, most of the things that we eat, there's some residue of insects, even if we don't realize it. And, uh, and I don't want to give you the, the names. Of, I don't want to give you the t- the type of products because you're going to get very upset if you haven't eaten supper tonight. You have a problem, and even if you have eaten, you're not going to be upset with me for telling you. So I'm not going to tell you. But the truth is that a lot of our foods have small amounts of insects in there, um, and halachically we have no problem with it. Uh, emotionally, we have a problem with it. Uh, and but the government um, only supervises us to a certain level to make sure that it's not overdone. But they don't. Uh, no one's going to guarantee to you that your products don't have some kind of insects in them. Not necessarily full insects, and not necessarily big ones, and you may never see them, but they're there. In any event, we're talking about spices. So really, spices and herbs are usually thrown together. They're not really the same, but. For this purpose, we're going to talk about them together. Here are some of the issues that come up. One is called flow agents. Flow agents help the spices from uh, producing them that they don't clump. Because if they clump together, like you have the salt that clumps together when you when this moisture is in there, you know that clumping. So that happens in spices as well. And to prevent that, they use a thing called a flow agent. Now, they're not part of the final product, and that's why a lot of times they're not mentioned at all. They're like a technical aid that come in contact with the spices themselves. So for kosher, it, it makes a big difference. What, what's interesting is that there are a number of them, a nice number of them. I mean, they're not nice, but there's a, there's a significant number that have kosher concerns. First of all, there's the stearates. There's a, there are different types of stearates. I'm going to come across it again later because I have a few different pages here. Maybe we'll be able to hear it is calcium stearate, magnesium stearate, and potassium stearate. These are the three that are the most common, and they can be used. They're very effective as an anti-caking agent, which we're talking about. And so that even something that's called a pure spice may have these anti-caking agents that are used, and uh, it could be a, a real issue. Because these are not a pirove, these stearates are not kosher. I mean, they could be uh, from some. They could be made kosher, but most of them are from non-kosher fats. Uh, so, uh, as it is, that's a serious 
issue what we're calling a flow agent. Now, another big problem is Israel because a lot of herbs and spices come from Israel. Not, uh, I'm going to say, you know, uh, the majority, but we certainly get, but it's a nice little bunch that are coming from there and, uh, they have to be scrutinized. So, as far as we're concerned, Israel is a problem. We have Shemitah, we have uh, Truma, Meiser. We have we have we have things that are concern us, uh, and and we want to make sure that we don't have those issues, Israel Israel issues, and therefore we have to make sure that we're buying from a kosher certified place. Otherwise, they're not going to be in charge of this at all, and we may very well be getting the uh, an Israeli product. The other area that's most important is we call blends. A blend has got, uh, you know, different things that have been added to it to create this blend. I'd like to give you some of the, uh, the blends that we're talking about. So first let's just mention the kind of things is that go into those blends. I know you're sitting down, so listen carefully. This goes into spice blends. You buy, I think, there's certain blends. We're going to see mention the names in a minute. So they can put in, and they do, cheese, bacon bits, little pieces of bacon, and other things could be could be added in to the uh, to these blends. So we're talking about a serious issue. Let me give you examples of blends: curry powder, garlic salt. Lemon pepper, onion salt, salt substitutes, sugar substitutes. These are the kinds of things that you, that you might find that have, uh, that are blends. Now, uh, so, so, in addition to that, we have issues that you should be aware of, like the smoked spices. If it's a smoked, that's an issue. Chili powders, uh, horseradish, is an issue of all forms. We're talking about the powder, the granulated, the hydro. We're talking about as a as a, uh, a, a as a spice. I'm not talking about the horseradish eating. But anyway, all you have hashkocha on what you eat. Wasabi powder, toasted and roasted dry garlic and fresh chopped garlic. All these are kinds of things that need to have hashkocha. So that's up front. We have some products that definitely need to have ashkocha, aside from the issue of this blends that we're talking about. Now, another problem, believe it or not, is uh, shala from basar and cholov, meat and milk. Now, imagine that a seasoning has a dairy ingredient, and it's, and it's going to be used in the uh, in, in a meat production. This is something that, that, that does happen, and we have to be aware of it. So these are just a few of the ideas of, of, of why we need Ashkocha and how important it is to look for what I say as a good Ashkocha, somebody that you really rely upon because what's happening is these blends are sometimes made before the company that you're buying from has gotten the, uh, the, 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 the spices. In other words, let's say a certain Ashkocha or is on this particular product. So were they in the factory in the other country or wherever it's coming from that we, when they were producing the, the blend? It may not, maybe no. But what they do is, and this is a, a, a very, uh, this is an, a topic when we're talking about it. What, what the Kashmir agency will do is that they will study 
the uh, they'll study the batch, uh, the you know the, the 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 list of ingredients that are supposed to go in this particular batch. So it's a, they, they're they're going to study what do we call the recipe? They're going to find out what's going to goes into this particular blend. So they have to approve the ingredients. They approve it before it's run, and that they may do. But that the peep that's a paper trail. But what really happens in another country when these things are being made, if nobody's over there, and it would be prohibitive to have somebody there for the productions. So it's uh, you know we are relying on. Uh, different steps. So that's why when you're buying something like a spice blend or any of these types of spices other than plain, you know, pepper, salt, whatever, I would suggest that you get what they, we call a good ashkacha or somebody that you feel, you know, is, is, uh, is capable of watching this. It's, it's a, uh, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's not such a simple thing to guarantee that spices are kosher. So we have to sum up we have the, the, these these types of uh, concerns. We have the anti-caking agent. We have the pro- product from Israel. We have the blends, and and then we uh, just have to know that we're using something that uh, is properly labeled. That you should know what's milk and what's flesh, etc. Let me go on now. Uh, figure that we did this. Even though not fully. By the way, all the cautious agencies have articles on it, and they all sound like somebody wrote all of them together. <laughs> he changed the name on the top, but the, it, it really is very uh, similar because you can't change what it is. Now, the second topic that I wanted to take up today is a, 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 an important topic. It's what does not need ashkacha. It's a uh, humorous when you think about it. When you, I'm going to talk about things that I say don't need ashkocha, and you, when you, if you add them all up, you say there's nothing there. <laughs> it's true. Look in the the book for Pesach from the OU. Hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of products, and here we're going to have a, a very small, limited list of things that we're going to say. These uh, the Star K put out that doesn't need ashkacha, and it's it, many of them are not food, and if they are, they're the simplest, plainest things in the world, and that's basically all that it can give you. So it's it's amazing how the world changed. Years ago, there were so many products that we used to say did not need ashkacha, but over the years, either the productions changed or we became more aware of it, of what what goes into it. Or just the fact that something could go wrong on a certain level. Maybe not for sure, but maybe possible. So that we maybe we, we, uh, we're more strict in our interpretation of what's kosher. In any event, life did change. But here are some things you should note, even if it's not uh, an extensive list. And if you can't follow me properly, you can always go to the Star K website and you'll be able to see which ones they recommend. They don't not need a Just I'm taking it right off of there. Aluminum foil. Now there's a whole thing. Aluminum foil is produced and then comes in contact. Da, 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 da. But aluminum foil, because it's heated to such a high temperature in the production of aluminum foil, it does not need a Almost every single aluminum foil you'll find has hashkacha. Uh, some of them have K. Some of them have an OU. Some maybe somebody else. 
but you'll, it's hard really to find a, an aluminum for the Zavashkacha. And the, and, and that's very simple to see why, because it can't cost a fortune because it doesn't need Ashkacha. Now this is one thing that does stick out, but you've got to listen to it carefully. Applesauce, plain only, even with high fructose corn syrup. Now the truth of the matter is that you're only going to have applesauce there when, and five fructose corn syrup. A lot of times they add other things. So it's, you know, it's not such a simple thing to say, but they wanted to say it anyway because we're talking about now what doesn't need Ashkacha and there's such a thing, it does exist. The applesauce with only corn syrup used as a sweetener and that's it. And vitamins you could they can add on. Okay. Next is baking powder and baking soda. Okay, simple enough. Now, the the position of the star K, it's not my own personal position, but the position of the star K is that all domesticated, unflavored beer is okay. Right. Number, the next point, unprocessed bran. Bran is part of the wheat, but it's not really, it's like a, it's a, you know, it's not, it's not such, a, it's not a regular uh, part of the wheat. It's, it's just attached to it. The brands are usually removed. Most of our, uh, unless you're having a whole wheat, you're going to have all the brand removed. But anyway, brand, unprocessed brand, innocuous, right? Buckwheat raw, raw buckwheat. Okay. Another simple product that you can use in the house. Carob powder and cocoa powder. Many people don't know about that. Ca- cocoa powder did not need Ashkocha. Uh, we talk about plain ones, by the way, again, there are no cocoa mixes here. We're only talking about the uh, plain cocoa powder. Unground, unflavored coffee. Okay, unflavored coffee. Co- cornmeal. Corn powder. Corn starch. Dental floss. Okay, it's not a food, right? Um, but, at least the people who have good clean teeth. Dishwashing gloves. You can imagine and have to make a list, have to say this. The reason is because we are careful what we touch with our hands when we're dealing with the, uh, the utensils in the house. And we should have kosher soap. We should have kosher dishwashing detergent or whatever it is for the uh, dishes in order that we don't have problems. Is it going to make a tray f- my Rebbe taught, no. If you don't have the, those things, they're gonna, not going to make a trade because these are things not edible, but still in all, we should have kosher. And dishwashing gloves, it, sometimes there are gloves that have, for example, they have uh, powder in it or this or that. So they're telling you that the, that the dishwashing gloves do not need special hashkocha on it or special preparations before you use it. Farina, raw farina, plain raw farina. Okay, simple, simple product. Um, then you have raw grains. I suppose that means all of the grains. If they're just raw, you can buy them in any store. Now, pure honey, unflavored. Okay, good. Now, has there been cheating? Yes, there has been cheating where they use something else instead. I, but I have never come across even with the cheating and the you know putting something else in there that's got a flavor and a, and a color of the honey, but I still never came across a case of where there was anything trafe in honey. Could it happen? Yes. Does it happen? No. That hasn't happened. 
and uh, but but there are there is adulteration in honey for sure. It's one of the most adulterated foods. Honey is the something because it's a nice price on it. That and the olive oil, a nice price differential, and therefore people do abuse it and they do adulterate it. But as far as we've n- never heard of anything about not kosher, in any event, he, he's saying that pure honey, um, unflavored pure honey, should be good with no ashkacha. Lip gloss, even the flavored lip gloss. Personally, I recommend you don't do that. You you get with uh, uh you, you you try not to get the, the 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 flavored ones, or you have it an hour or so before you eat, and it's not it's not right on the edge of your mouth there and gets swallowed with the food or the drink. But uh, halakhically, when not, it's not required, that's what the Starke is saying. Unflavored molasses. Uh, pure oats, raw pure oats. Okay, that's a common thing. I don't know if that uh, would include some of the uh, oatmeal's that are already pre-cooked. I don't know if that's so because he says raw. I don't think they're really called raw. The ones that are pre-cooked and a minute uh, takes a minute to cook. Oven cleaner, paper cups, paper plates, paper napkins. Doesn't sound very interesting, right? But that's what uh, we have on the list. Popcorn kernels, plain, ordinary, raw popcorn kernels. Many people make their own popcorn in the house, and they have either a popcorn machine or even in the microwave. Plastic wrap bags, plastic bags. They don't need a heshkacha even if you're having hot. Of course, plastic wrap, plastic bags. Plastic bags, you're not going to, whatever. These plastics, you're not going to make too hot usually anyway. Uh, paper for cold. Does not need a hashkacha. Salt, silver polish. Again, I, my Rebbe would have said, the Rav Zimman would have said, for silver polish, get with hashkacha. But we're talking purely halakhically here. Does not require it because it's not an edible food at all. Split peas, raw split peas, sugar cane, sugar beets. You know, the sugar that comes from cane, sugar that comes from beets, brown sugar, confectioner sugar. All of these should be all right with no hashkacha. Unflavored tea, unflavored water, even with fluoride. That's the whole list. Very little food in there. I mean, water and molasses and sugar. <laughs> I mean, and you got some cups to put it into. But it's, I would say it sounds quite limited. But, but that's where we're up to today. Um, are there people going around saying they can have this and that and the other thing? Yes. I know, for example, um, that's, that there are still people out there who give ashkocha, I've mentioned it here on the air, and they, they read the labels. And they say, what's wrong with reading the labels? The answer is, we just said tonight, you don't have to mention everything. Most caking agents, anti-caking agents are not mentioned. When you make, when you put uh, candies on a machine, it goes on a, on a, on a belt. They put something that shouldn't stick, and sometimes that's trafe. One one hash, one hashkocha, one company had to remove a, a large supply when they realized that they were using trafe uh, on the, those belts to make it sh- not stick. It was it was from mamish trafe, and it was and it was getting onto the candies. And the rub finally pulled to the hashkocha when he found out. It was a big embarrassment, terrible embarrassment. 
So uh, you know, there, there really are things that you cannot tell at all from the from the label. And to, to, to take people's money and to claim that you're giving ashkocha and all you're doing is reading labels. Everyone can go read labels. Is that that's a hashkocha? It's not fair. So uh, we definitely uh, don't agree with that opinion. And uh, in general today, it doesn't work because we know that the a few percent you could put on without mentioning it all, and, and, and things are not called an ingredient, but they get right into the food as the as the caking agent, which is mamish mixed in there, or, uh, so, or the release agent, which I mentioned before, that goes in the belts. These things are going to affect the foods that we eat, and they should be properly under hashkocha, and there's no way to know by reading a, a, a package label and assuming this, that, and the other thing. I was just I just did, uh, for example, today, uh, we were writing up something about cough drops. It's going into our monthly newsletter, and uh, the company Ludens, uh, Rite Aid, I don't remember the other companies, CVS, number of companies that they have cough drops, their brand name, with an O-U-D, and the question was, what does that D represent? So we found out that that D represents that it's only equipment and there's no actual dairy content inside these cough drops. But you on the package, you see O-U-D. Now, if you want to be honest, you say you're reading labels, then you read that it's dairy because the O-U is telling it's dairy. So if you want to say you read labels, then you have to say it's really dairy. The answer is we have to go beyond the label. Sometimes we go on beyond the label and we see that it's not, not really a dairy product, or at least not a, not, not to have potential, it doesn't have real dairy inside. It's only, a, it's only a, a dairy equipment. And sometimes we see that it's mislabeled, et cetera, et cetera. So reading the labels is not the way to go anymore. It doesn't belong in our, uh, in, in our way of life. Uh, you know, so that's, that's what it is. Uh, there's there's a lot more work you have to do to be able to establish that something doesn't need hashkoch at all. Could there be more things in that list from the star K? Absolutely. I could make many more things because when you study how certain things are made, you see that there's no way that they're going to become not kosher. I mean, unless he takes a little chazer and sticks it in, but that's he has no need to do that. There's no reason for him to do it. So but in many cases, uh, I could come up with a much bigger list. But I, I suppose they had some reason for this list, and uh, it really, it's not such a giant list that I could make up, but I know from my own experience with uh, looking into products, that, that many products are innocuous, many of them, but they're raw. They're usually they're raw products, etc. And uh, you know you just have to be on top of it to figure it out. And it cannot rely on reading the labels. And you shouldn't rely on your own ideas. You should check it out, study it, ask people in the industry, and then make an intelligent decision. In the in the Shulchan Aruch, it says to. Find out how the things are made, and in your particular time, and you go with the way things are being made in your society today. So, for example, if you're in a, in a country where they do use grape juice as a sweetener, then you have to be worried, even if it doesn't list it, it might have grape juice. As that country, it happens in Europe. Over here, 
grape juice is still too expensive, and it's not, and it usually wouldn't be there unless it was declared. I don't know if it would, be, it would appear on any labels if it wasn't declared. But there are people who are, you know, using, uh, in certain other countries, they're using grape juice very, very commonly as a sweetener, and even if it's not mentioned at all in the ingredients. So you do have to be, you have to be on top of this. Leads me to the next topic. One of the interesting things, uh, that I, that, that comes out is called Sapirim. Most people don't know anything about Sapirim. It's put out by the CRC. It's usually Ralph David Cohen from the CRC. Chicago writes this. And, uh, we're going to tell you he's, and he's a great writer. He put out a wonderful safer on, uh, just came out a few weeks ago on, uh, Bishalakum. And he now he's and, and he and he writes uh, tremendously the course of the year for the CRC, and this one of the things he does is Sapirim. If you've never seen it, look it up. Maybe you'll get a copy. It's it's high tech. It's uh, it's comp- comparable to what the OU puts out in Dafakashras, and it's in, it's very often even more in depth because he uh, is a prolific writer. And well, I, one of the things that he discussed. Which was cute, is uh, hypod- hy- hydroponically grown produce. Now we understand the hydroponics is uh, a wave of the of the present and of the future. It seems that you can produce things faster and in many ways easier in hydroponics than you can on, uh, in, in other ways. Because first of all, hydroponics you can use the height of the room to stack things up higher and uh, you don't need the that ground which you need in, uh, in something that's growing in the ground you 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 can work without the ground that's hydroponics that you're growing in a liquid medium there are hydroponics that are somehow tied to connected to the ground too partially this partially that but real pure hydroponics is really something that's uh very very different from that which is grown in the ground we always talk about greenhouses, and greenhouses are interesting because greenhouses could be uh, a way of growing, let's say, hydroponics, where it's not in the ground, or you're growing in the ground. The normal thing in the greenhouses is in the ground. It's just covered over, so it's like you're putting a covering on a plot of land, but it's not uh, replacing the ground. Whereas in hydroponics, you're not you, you're not you're not linked to the ground. Uh, maybe there's some kind of connection. But it's not a direct link, and therefore, for many people, they consider the bracha to be shahakol, not Dhamma. The problem is knowing in our world today, knowing that it is hydroponics. If they would want to show off and say this is hydroponics, so that would be an easy way. They'd always put a sticker on where they're telling you it's hydroponically grown. But sometimes they don't want to do that, or they the stickers the, the place where you buy doesn't do much stickers. Or they take the stickers off even. They want, want you to think whatever they want you to think. So sometimes uh, it's very hard to tell you have hydroponically grown products. But you don't have to assume it unless you have any reason to uh, be suspect this particular produce. And in any event, hydroponics has another Shiloh. And the Shiloh, this Shiloh would be a good one. It would be a question of whether or not you need to worry about insects in something that grew hydroponically. 
Of course, if you see an insect, you can't eat it. It's uh, not, not, not a question. And if you see it crawling on the table and whatever it is, it's walked out and it's taking a spazier, yeah, you have problems. But you have also kinds of uh, insects that grow inside something. And they never, never saw the live day. Does that usher that, that, that insect? Is it usher? In order to be usher, it has to be sure it's a la'aretz. If it was inside, it never touched the outside. The Allah says when something grows in the ground, at the time it's growing in the ground, it's like sure it's a la'aretz. So if you're, if you're a, a, an insect that's inside a grape that's attached to the ground with a vine, or in an apple that's on the tree, so that that bug that's in the apple on the tree is as if it had stepped on the ground and taken a little walk. That's how it's viewed in terms of halacha. But the even if that's true, that uh, that insect, um, it, it, it's only when it's uh, when it's inside, uh, you know, something that grew on the ground. What if it grows in a mushroom? So uh, an insect that grows in a mushroom, and if it never saw the light of day, is that insect usher? So if something has tons of insects, first of all, they may have crawled out and got off the the, the uh, mushroom and gone onto the ground and come back up. And in any event, we don't know exactly. So, and if there's a lot of insects, we got to make a bedika. We understand that if something's muhsuk betoyloim, it's filled with bugs. And there's every every couple of them, every couple of mushrooms has a bug in it. Then for sure you'd have to worry about it. But what about if it's sporadic? What we call mute hamatsui. It's enough that if it was a lettuce, I would have to check it before I eat it. If if that's the amount of insects that it has, shouldn't it not? How, how do I view um, a mushroom, an insect, and a mushroom? So this is something that Rabbi David Cohn from the CRC tackles. Very interesting piece, really. I'm not going to go through it with you, but it's an interesting piece. It was, in, by the way, in Sapirim 27. It is, every number, you know, is different. He didn't come out that often, but they're 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 power packed. So he tells you the decision from the base then of the CRC. Well, they paskind that an uh, uh, he, um an insect that grows in a uh, pot that's not attached to the ground, the way you grow these hydroponic things, and it's not uh, never been left its habitat. It's been inside that vegetable, and it is. It is. Uh, we're going to say it, it doesn't. It's only, it's only sporadic. In other words, it's miyutamotsui. Which means within ten percent of, I don't know, this is hard already to explain what ten percent of what, but let's say for let's take a let's take a um, leave the mushroom alone for a second because it's different size of mushrooms. Let's go to a lettuce. So if you find, uh, let's say in ten percent of the produce that's sold, let's say for example you sell a, a whole head of lettuce. So some people say, if there's one bug in ten lettuces, you have to check every every leaf. But if there would be one bug in every two lettuces, then you'd be required to check every leaf. That's the difference 
that exists over there. So in the case of where it's only, we call it a mir hamatsui. It's not that often. It's like one out of ten uh, heads of lettuce. And in this case, we're talking about the mushrooms, but whatever. Because there's mushrooms of different sizes. I don't know exactly how, you get, how we're going to put this together. But if you have uh, in portions or whatever, you buy it in, let's say, in a in a container. And one out of ten containers has one bug in it, even though there's a bunch of mushrooms in there. One bug. And that could be quite a bit of mushrooms altogether. And you find one bug, that would be a mirhamatsui. So we, we're worried about if it would be leaves, but the, based in, 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 in Chicago, Paskin, that if it's something grown in a, it's grown in a pot that's not attached to the ground and has no little hole where it sort of, uh, gets nourishment from down below. It's a completely closed pot. And you put it in there and you grew it there, not attached to the ground. We call hydroponics. Then says says the CRC, there was no need to check for insects in those products. I don't know if everybody agrees with that, but it's an interesting psak, and it's based on a lot of seichel, saying that it's not if it's not attached to the ground, then that rule of shoretzalaretz of walking on the ground doesn't apply. But what's interesting, and this way you have to study it if you want to really understand it, <laughs> he shows over there is that uh, even something that's not attached to the ground in some ways is uh, is part of the ground. Now, we make, for example, a shahako on mushrooms. And mushrooms to us look like they're growing attached to the ground, but they're not. They are sitting on the ground, not attached to the ground. At the the place where they are is on the ground or on the, the on the, the the base of a a tree, but they're but they're not they're not attached to the ground, they're really uh, above it, but very close, and if, and and then to, and, and they're not sunk into the ground. They're not they're not buried partly in and partly out. They're not growing roots, so since they're not really part of the ground, do we look at them as? Ground because they are on the ground, literally on the ground, or do we look at it as if they're not part of the ground at all, and they could be a ten million miles away from each other? They even just happen to be that they're in very close proximity right now, but basically they're in two different worlds, and this is the position that the CRC has vis-a-vis the issue of the insects. But for us, the the question is, what about the uh, what about what about uh, making a uh, what, what what about making a bracha on it? And that seems to be a split between different abonim, with some saying you make shahakol, and others saying that you make adama. The reason for making shahakol is obvious because they're not attached to the ground. And the reason for making adama is that since they are look like the other like the regular vegetables, and they just happen to not be grown in the ground. Then uh, some say you should still make the hadama. I think the minaga is not to, but I think that most people never know that they're eating hydroponically grown. So it's nice to know that if you made the bracha hadama, and you're really not supposed to, you'd still be yotze, because that's the halacha and something that comes from the ground. And we maybe perhaps it, maybe it wouldn't be that way. Maybe in this case we would say we couldn't apply that rule. So it'd be good to know if we had 
that something came from the came was hydroponically grown. As far as the uh, mushrooms, that of course is a shahako, but uh, the uh, things that the uh, that look the same, usually they'll put on it a sticker because they that's a plus, and some people want that. And it, by the way, uh, can be done, but more bug free than uh, the things that grow in the ground. But that depends upon the production facility. If the production facility is very large, then uh, you might have a, as many problems as you have with something that's in the ground. If it's a more small area, it's doable to keep out all the insects from the production floor, and that would maybe make it better even than anything that grew in the ground. Uh, while we're on it, I want to mention uh, a, a, a uh, from this Sapirim, in the last few minutes that we have, I want to go into about liquors. Because he has some very interesting material here in this Sapirim about the different liquors. Um, he talks about the difference between different whiskeys, although I, I'm not so familiar with all of that and I'm not so interested in it. I think it would be more interesting to read some of what things that they said about the beers because that's a topic that everybody discusses. This is uh, what Rabbi David Cohen says in Sapirim 27. Beer is made by fermenting barley malt in the presence of hops and then diluting the product to an approximately uh, 5% alcohol level. Beer is not distilled. Lager beers are typically aged one to three weeks, and ales are not aged at all. Now, all standard unflavored beers with no additives are acceptable. Fine, but do we know if there's additives when it doesn't say it on the packaging? Even without coach certification, this is the position of the CRC in Chicago. This applies to both American and imported beers, light, dark, non-alcoholic beers, all of them. Flavored beer, though, included, including those flavored with spices, or botanicals, or fruits, require hashkocha. So that's the main difference. If it's flavored, it needs hashkocha for sure. Here are some exceptions. Many breweries produce special specialty brews that have additives. Please check the label and do not assume that all varieties are acceptable. Okay, I don't know if you caught that. In other words, you're not seeing the word additive there. I'll read it again. Many breweries produce specialty brews that have additives. Please check the label and do not assume that all varieties are acceptable. I don't know if you'll tell from me anything from the, uh, the label. Beers known to be produced at microbreweries. That's a problem. Microbreweries are small brewery companies. Why? What is the definition of microbreweries? It doesn't give us, we don't have a given if, a definition. But the big, big companies that you know that have been around forever, Ballantyne Beer and, you know, Budweiser Beer, those, those companies actually exist and, and have their own, uh, production and everything is separate for every different kind of, uh, beer. And you don't have any problems in those factories on the ones that are kosher. If there's something that's not kosher, you know, then you have to know if it's being run the same lines. But basically you don't have a problem in those kind of beer companies. The problem comes from microbreweries. Why? 
Microbreweries are small, and because of their small st- size, they tend to want to create more product by name, so to make it more interesting and to get more sales. So they get different types of products. Um, they'll 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 run this for a few weeks, and that for a few months. This one, uh, for, we'll try it out a year or two, and 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 they'll keep constantly changing some of these products, and some of them are tray for hundred percent. Not maybe 100% trafe beer. They put in oysters. They put in clams. They put in who knows what in there. They try all this shtick in order to get more interest in their beers. How do we know they do it? Because I, you can see the videos. This is what they do. No, no question. That's exactly how they do it. They add in mamish tarfus into the beer making process. No, no suffolk. Vadai trafe. And so then now they have equipment that is Vade Trafe because of this. And they run the other beers on the same equipment. So if they used it now, Trafe, at, at this point, you're going to make all the beers that come afterwards Trafe. And in, in these breweries, they're using the facility constantly. So you don't have the heter of Eno Ben Yomo. And small breweries, they could be working on Shabbos and Sunday too. So that you don't even have the heters of the big breweries. So it's not, uh, there's really nothing to get out of it. So what, what is the, uh, what's the answer for, yeah, if you want to try something for a microbrewery? You have to go to the conscious agencies and they look at their lists of recommended beers. And they will tell you whether this particular microbrewery is something that you can rely upon or not rely upon for its kashras. In other words, whether they've, they're tech, they're doing these trade products in the, on the facility. They're, the cautious agency, especially the CRC in Chicago, has worked it out and, ch- and checked on them, and they have lists of them. You can get it on the, uh, the on their site, or you can call them and get the information from them. So that's a, an acceptable way of how to deal with the uh, with, with the microbreweries. Now, I want you to know, you'll never figure out who the microbreweries are unless you used to eating, drinking a lot of beer and have been around doing it for a while. Because what happens is the microbreweries choose a lot of different names. And some of the names are, are ones that you've heard already. You may have heard it for a couple of years or five years or ten years. But those, but they don't, they, they sell a lot of different brand names that they made up brand names. It's very hard for us, unless you know it's a real big company that's been around forever, like Ballantines and, and Budweiser and those companies, Coors, they're not microbreweries. Those are huge companies that are making beer that way for forever. The smaller guys, you might think you've heard the name, and sometimes they make it sound like a name that you heard. But it's uh, but they're really not uh, they're not big companies. And if you check it out, uh, and if it, there's ways to check it out, I'm not going to talk about it now. But you can easily check to find out if it's a large company or a small company. Next, to watch out for in beers. Milk stouts and other beers which contain lactose require certification. So what he's telling you is there's a nice number of beers that are dairy. And aside from anything else, you can't serve it at the Shalom Zacher. If after the Fleischiks, you're not going to want to serve at the Shalom Zacher. And, but still, aside from that, you don't want, you don't want to be mixed up with, uh, with, uh, with some people don't want to have Chal of Stam too. 
and uh, and it, 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 so it's a it's a bit of a problem, especially there's allergies. So we have to be very careful and make sure that they're not in there. Beer from Israel requires certification to make sure that Truma and Meiser and Shemitah were taken care of. That that wraps up the beer situation. Now, what's happening in Bourbon is that they started using a lot of the uh, sherry casks, and that creates a big problem over there. And there's a second problem with bourbon that's very common, is that a number of the bourbon companies are owned by Jews who did not sell their chametz, which creates a big problem for us. Now, uh, the Canadian whiskey uh, is is a a big, 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 big issue. I don't have time to go into it today. There's a beautiful article that was written by the COR in Canada, and there they studied the topic in depth, and they came away that there's definitely wine in Canadian whiskey. Again, is definitely wine in Canadian whiskey. But they are of the opinion that it's bottle in Shishim, that there's more than 60 against the Isa. Doesn't sound to me like that's something that we should be playing with. So Canadian whiskeys definitely are on the unrecommend, non-recommended list. They, they will not give Ashkocha in Canada, the COR, even though they consider it nullified, they will not give hashkocha to the product. So I, I think that if you do drink, uh, you enjoy your drinks, and you know what I'm talking about when I say Canadian whiskey, it really is does uh, deserve a, a strong look before you continue. I'm going to read what the CRC said. The Canadian whiskey places Canadian law places no restriction regarding the addition of other ingredients such as alcohol, wine, or flavorings. The Canadian whiskey, uh, but to be labeled, only has to say Canadian whiskey. That's the only thing they care about. If it contains, if it does not contain more than 9.09% of added ingredients that are not of Canadian origin. So they, the word Canadian to them just means it's got to be made in Canada and from Canadian ingredients made in Canada, etc., etc., etc. Canadian whiskey, I'm reading now from the CRC, is recommended only if it is known to only contain kosher ingredients or has reliable certification. Well, I don't know if it has any reliable certification, but it's been known now after the piece came out from the from the COR in Canada. It's known now that that just about every drop of Canadian whiskey has wine in it. Whether that wine is bottled or not, is you have to discuss it with your own rough. But as far as it being there, yes, that's what they have in it, sir. Gin is is basically boils down to it, it, it needs a certification if you're having flavored. And flavored in the whiskey area, in the liquor area, flavored is, is taking over by leaps and bounds. Where as one time people were purists, 
They only wanted to use the pure whiskey or alcohol or, you know, scotch or rye, this and that. They didn't want anything else mixed in it. Now they're going for a lot of mixed beverages. So flavored gin, like lemon-flavored gin, that needs hashgacha. Slow gin, that's the name of a, a product, slow gin. But the slow gin is, is a liqueur, and it definitely needs certification. It may be called gin, but it's not a real gin. So it's, it's liqueur. So that's another topic. And liqueurs, you understand, are have a lot of different ingredients added into them, and they definitely need hashgacha. Rum is produced by fermenting sugar or molasses. The most popular type is white, which is usually not aged. But the two types of aged rum are yellow or dark. Those are the two names that are used for the the aged ones. Flavored rum is called spiced rum. Now, unflavored rum, there's there's no flavor in, that's considered to be acceptable according to the CRC, with no ashkacha. Unless the label says that it was aged or finished in wine casks. So if you don't have the wine cask problem, then if it's not flavored, rum would be acceptable. I spoke to a woman who was down there where they make the rum, in Jamaica, whatever it was, and she claims that she saw that they added or she was told that they added other things to it. All right, there's always stories here and stories there, but these are responsible, conscious organizations, and if they're telling you there's nothing in the unflavored rum, then then I understand there's nothing there. The only problem is the casks, and that you have to find out. We'll just go now for, discuss a, a, a couple of other things that are, not so well known. So I, I, I might be pronouncing it wrong. Soju, S-O-J-U, is a Korean distilled whiskey, typically made from rice, but sometimes at other grains. It's not aged. And according to the CRC, soju or soju requires certification. How they make it, I don't know. It looks like it's simple, fine, but it's not. Vermouth. Vermouth is brandy. Brandy is wine, which is distilled to make it uh, more concentrated, the alcohol. And it's flavored with botanicals and other materials. Vermouth requires certification, says it's made from wine. That gives you a little bit of an idea of some of the products. Uh, I didn't discuss all the liquors. There's so much in there. If you get a chance, uh, Pyram 27 from the CRC in Chicago, that's what I was looking at when I was explaining about the liquors. Uh, our time is just about up. So I want to remind you that this is a, we were listening to Rabbi Yosef Wickler from Kashmir's Magazine, and uh, we just came out with our new issue. It, is, it just came back from the, uh, from the printer today, and we'll be in the stores uh, probably by tomorrow in some of the stores. You'll be able to find it uh, hopefully sometime tomorrow in uh, in. Uh, uh, you find it over in uh, Pomegranate, KRM, and um, you'll be able to find it in the book, some of the bookstores tomorrow. So uh, you should be able to find it out there. If you want to get a copy and you can't find it in the store, give us a ring at 718-336-8544, and we'll set you up with a subscription or get a copy to you, 718-336-8544 for Kashrus Magazine, or send us an email, Kashrus, K-A-S-H-R-U-S, 
at AOL.com. And until next week, this is your host, Rabbi Yosef Wickler, wishing you a wonderful week.